Greetings, and welcome to Research on Religion, a weekly podcast series devoted to the social scientific study of religion. I'm Anthony Gill, your host, professor of political science at the University of Washington, and distinguished senior fellow at Baylor University's Institute for Studies of Religion, the gracious sponsor of our podcast. We encourage you to visit our website at www.researchonreligion.org to post comments, ask questions, access additional material related to today's program, and to find out what is happening at the Institute. All right, let's begin. Just a very quick note before we begin our podcast. Today's interview is probably one of the most interesting and inspirational ones that I've done since beginning this series. However, because we were calling into a rural area in Wyoming, we ran into some audio problems with the phone system at about the 38-minute and 44-minute marks. There's some brief static lasting about a minute each, and it may be difficult to understand what is being said. But my technical staff was able to fix the problems, and the last 15 minutes come through loud and clear. Indeed, I would urge you to listen through to the end because my guest, Dan Stiles, makes some outstanding observations about religion and life that you will not want to miss. Okay, now back to our regularly scheduled program. One of the benefits of being the creator and host of a podcast series is that you get to control the selection of topics for the show. Now, of course, Baylor University's Institute for Studies of Religion has some say over what we broadcast. I mean, after all, I just can't go off and do interviews about UFO cults and Bigfoot clubs, even though we did feature a show on UFO cults and Bigfoot clubs last year. But yeah, but nobody said anything, so as long as I keep our interviews somewhat connected to religion, I'm guessing I have a pretty free range of things to talk about. And so with that reasoning in the back of my head, I decided to be a little bit self-indulgent today and explore a topic that I have a strong personal interest in, cowboy churches. And for those of you who know me, you will know that I have a love for all things Western, from country music to horseback riding, and from John Wayne and Glenn Ford movies to rodeos. In fact, it's a little-known fact, too, that when I applied for graduate schools, I refused to consider any university east of the Mississippi, and I still maintain my longing for living out west. And I hope there are folks at the University of Wyoming listening out there because I would be a really great fit in Laramie. Hint, hint. Uh, currently, I'm the only faculty member at the University of Washington who wears cowboy hat and boots, uh, so that can be a kind of a lonely life. Anyways, given that I run this podcast series and nobody has told me what to feature yet, I figured, what the heck, why not talk about cowboy churches? Because, after all, they interest me. And for those of you who've never heard of such a thing as cowboy churches, let me tell you that there is actually a vibrant community that exists not only out here in the western United States, but they can also be found out east and uh, even in Canada, too, eh? Uh, and a big shout-out for our regular listener out there in Moose Jaw, Canada. Now, I've had the pleasure of attending a couple cowboy church services over the past few years, and every single one of them has been a great experience, not only for the Western buff in me, but also it, it really is just a truly great spiritual experience. You know, after all, Jesus was born in a barn, and he did ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, so there should be nothing unusual about getting baptized in a horse's watering trough. Now, to help you all get a feel for cowboy churches and the general Western lifestyle that sustains them, 
I'm really excited to have with us Daniel Stiles, who is an ordained minister with Trinity Fellowship in Sayre, Oklahoma, and is the regular announcer for Cody Night Rodeo in Cody, Wyoming. Now, I had the opportunity to be at the Cody Night Rodeo back in late June and absolutely loved it. Dan is a great announcer, top shelf all the way. Um, the Cody Night Rodeo, I should mention, goes on every single night in Cody, Wyoming, between June 1st and August 31st. They have a Facebook page. We'll link to that on our website. And if you're in the neighborhood, I think you should uh, give them a try. Hey, Dan, welcome to Research on Religion. Well, glad to be here, sir. I, it's it's great to have you. I did really love uh, the rodeo when I was out there. You had a really good rapport with uh, the rodeo clown there, and I picked up a couple good jokes for uh, my own camping out uh, outings as well, too. So. Well, that's good. We're glad to hear that. We have a good time. Enjoy doing it. It's my third summer to spend it in Cody, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's before we start talking about cowboy churches and, and such uh, and the rural Western lifestyle and what kind of challenges and opportunities that poses for Christian ministry, I think it'd be worthwhile to actually discuss a little bit of your background. So um, let's start at the beginning. Where were you born and raised? I was born in Columbia, Missouri, when my dad was a master's student at the University of Missouri-Columbia. Um, there we moved to central Missouri and spent most of my life in central Missouri. A little town called Hillsboro. Uh, my parents still live there, still got the same house. I have uh, three brothers and a sister, and uh, kind of just was always involved in horses and all of that. Um, I'm the only member of the family that's into rodeo. We raised core horses, that kind of stuff, and 4-H speed shows, western shows, all that stuff, and uh, I decided I wanted to be a bull rider for a while. Oh, yeah, tell me about that. So how, how does one decide they want to be a bull rider? Uh, I don't know. I think you got to be, like the old joke is, you got to put a bunch of marbles in your mouth, and every time you get on one, you spit one out. When you lost your marbles, you're a bull rider, but it's <laughs> oh, something I thought I wanted to do, and uh, I did uh, while still in high school, mm-hmm. as my senior year, go to our local junior college. Got my EMT degree, so spent a couple of years working in the city of St. Louis on the ambulance and didn't really like that there due to the large amount of bad stuff you saw, so I ended up going to southwest Missouri mm-hmm. and down around just south of Springfield, and that's where I really got into the bull riding stuff. And so how long did you do the, the bull riding for? Uh, I did it about four, maybe five years. I uh, found out that... Uh, it's a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> it looks really hard, though. In my life, I really didn't want to work hard at it like I could have. I had a lot of talent and probably should have done more than I did, but I kind of got to the side of rodeo that uh, probably shouldn't have got into. Mm-hmm. Not stuff I tell my mom about my, very often. Okay, well, she might not be listening, so that's, uh, that's well, okay. That's all right. She knows now. But... Oh, okay, all right. I got a question about that. Were you raised in a Christian household, and were I was you regular? raised in a good Southern Baptist home? Mm-hmm. And you guys were regular churchgoers then, right? Hey, we had our own pew. I think if they were washing the windows, we were there. And so you probably really connected in there for uh, you know kind of a Christian friends and family uh, back when in your youth. And I mean, kind of a question: when you get into the professional bull riding um, circuit, uh, this is probably in your early 20s, mid-20s or so, did you kind of drift away from the church at all? Well, I drifted away really when I turned 18 and got uh, my EMT partially because I was working the midnight shift and partially because I just had uh, 
problems comprehending why we had to follow all these rules and regulations that I didn't find in the book real well and went through that uh, teenage rebellion period, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, our church was a very traditional Southern Baptist church, and um, I seemed to hear the rules more than I heard the love, and it may, I'm not saying the church was wrong, I just, that's what I picked up was God was this guy up there with long hair, and he'd throw lightning bolts at you when you messed up. Yeah, I think I think that's true of a lot of teenagers, that a lot of that message comes through in part because teenagers, and I'm, my son is now in his preteen years, you, you got to tell them where the rules and, and guidelines are, otherwise they tend to drift, and one could only realize that they, after a while, tend to resent that, and that's the only thing they, they can hear. So uh, I can imagine that kind of was what was happening with you there at church, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, I just... Uh... I'm not going to say that the church was wrong. I think they were extremely well-meaning. But I had some youth pastors that basically gave us a lot of uh, thou shalt not, but didn't have a whole lot of scripture to back it up. And I was a questioning. I'm not, I'm not a dumb kid at all. I have my college degree and all that. And uh, I wanted to know why. And it was just always because we said so, and you're a bad kid if you don't do what we say. Okay, so, so in the 20s, you're, you're out there riding bulls out and riding bulls, doing stuff. Mm-hmm. all that good stuff and uh, enjoying it I can't I know I'm not going to tell you that I ever left God because I know that I spent a lot of hours talking to him and uh, reading reading the book and um, getting to know him mm-hmm. I knew a lot about him but I didn't know him well what what brought you closer to Christ actually I went through some really rough times in my life and in uh, 1993 actually in January I was with some friends who went to the international finals rodeo in Oklahoma City Oklahoma and uh, I ended up for some reason sitting out watching it not being behind the shoots I wasn't I didn't make the finals that year and um, getting ready to leave and it was a place called the Myriad Convention Center in downtown Oklahoma City and it's not there anymore they replaced it and uh, it had these like circle deals you had to walk down and I got on the wrong one and thought I was going downtown to the down at the street level to the beer gardens and ended up walking down this hallway. I didn't know where it was and saw a sign about free food and uh, thought I'd hang out there because I was hungry. Yeah, the free food always draws me. <laughs> yeah, they had a homemade spaghetti and walk in there and uh, there's this really beautiful lady. <coughs> Excuse me there. She uh, looked like Reba McIntyre singing and. I thought I'd stick around, and uh, her husband, Paul Lutzinger, it was Reva McIntyre's little sister, actually, Susie, and uh, her husband preached that night, and uh, really, uh, maybe it's the first time that it had ever been said to me, the first time I'd ever comprehended it, that no matter what, God loves you, God is a father that wants kids, and wants a relationship with his kids, Mm -hmm. and no matter where you've been, where you've done, he loves you, and so from that, I, uh, I guess you just, the the church term we use would be rededicated my life. Mm-hmm. So it's probably pretty uh, fortunate that you took that wrong turn and didn't make it to the beer garden. Yeah, right? I, I think probably there's divine intervention. Yeah. Well, that's true. As they, they say that, you know, my friends say they can never hear God, and I said, well, you're just not listening carefully enough. And, and sometimes yeah, we'll get more to it later, but I believe there's a, co- 
constant flow of information from the throne room to us. We just got to listen. Mm-hmm. So, so let me talk about. Uh, we mentioned earlier on that you were ordained through Trinity Fellowship in Sarah, Oklahoma. Yes, what sir. got you from that spaghetti hall, listening to the preaching in Oklahoma, uh, to the point of being ordained? Fill us in the history of your life there. I uh, had uh, really hadn't started announcing yet. For the next couple of years, I just kind of went to church when I could. I was uh, still involved somewhat in rodeo. I'd, I'd quit riding bulls, um, help out local rodeos when I could, and I ended up getting a young man for a roommate that wanted to be a uh, bull rider, so I started taking him to a practice pen, and I was acting dumb at the practice pen one night and got hired to announce a bull riding. Kind of had happened. That would be in 1996, and kind of fell into it. By that time, I'd gotten involved with, uh, for a while, I had been a youth pastor for a Christian church, Disciples of Christ, in Monette, Missouri, and then... Uh, started doing the announcement, and then it appeared that I wasn't going to be able to keep doing both, so I decided, I said, all right, Lord, you know, if this is you that's uh, giving me these announcing gigs, obviously I know that when I was a kid that you called me to uh, a ministry of some point, and uh, I want to do what you want, so you're going to have to help me out here. And met a guy in Kansas named George Steinberger that puts on Christian rodeo schools, and he said, hey, why don't you pass out Bibles everywhere you go? So he gave me a phone number to call, and it ended up being Clyde and Elsie Frost, and got hooked up with them, started passing out Bibles. So uh, left that church, ended up being a part-time youth pastor for Baptist Church in Wheaton, Missouri, for a while, and just kept uh, doing that. Got in touch with a guy in Texas, wanted me to come and help him with his ministry in Fort Worth area. So I really felt like the Lord said to do it, got some confirmation from people I didn't even know. Uh, it's kind of an interesting story. We had a, a uh, evangelist come, and he got lost and was late. He got there when the last song was ending for Sunday morning to start our revival, and uh, he gets ready to preach, and he says, i, I got to say something. He said, I don't know you, but the Spirit of God's really talking to me, and um, I don't know what's going on in your life, but God's telling you to go somewhere you need to go. Mm-hmm. So I moved to Fort Worth, Texas, quit my job, sold my house, and lived in a horse trailer for a while in some people's front yard. Wow. And I um, wasn't really sure why I was there in Texas. And that ministry deal ended up, as they always sometimes do, not working out. <laughs> um, they made a decision to go somewhere else, he and his wife, and they left and went to Colorado. So I'm like, all right, Lord, I sold my house that I loved, quit my job that I was making good money at, that let me go rodeo. You know, what's up? And uh, ended up going to a guy named Jerry Savelle's church one Sunday morning. And so for the next year, that was like 1st of August, I guess, I ended up going to his uh, Bible college there in Crowley, Texas, and spending time there. Got involved with a group called North Texas High School Rodeo, doing their events, announcing. And then somebody said, hey, you're a preacher. Can you pray with us? So I started praying with the bull riders and holding church service. So really... About the next three years, I did that. Had a youth group with a group called Cowboys for Christ, and uh, at one point we had over 100 teenagers coming every Monday night just to hang out and have fun. And uh, kept on. Uh, and I was actually, I guess, I wasn't ordained through uh, Jerry Savelle. There was a, a licensed minister, mm-hmm. and got involved with Cody Custer and some of the other guys that do rodeo ministry went out to the PBR finals uh, a couple of years in a row and 
help with the ministry there and went to Sayre, Oklahoma a couple of times. They have a, we have a camp there called the Camp of Champions every summer, a big rodeo Bible camp, and uh, got hooked up with Trinity and Andy Taylor, the pastor there, and through that began to see that my, I guess I really had been in Fort Worth almost six years, saw that my time there was ending, that what God had taken me there for was, you know, kind of like Abraham, time to move on to the next location. Mm-hmm. So I moved to Sayre, Oklahoma, and they ordained me, and coming up here every summer, you know, they have a period where they uh, pray over me and, and send me out, and so I'm ordained through them, and under their covering, along with, you know, I think I've already, I haven't told you all on here yet, but there's quite a few rodeo ministries that uh, are covered by Trinity Fellowship, we believe we're a apostolic work that sends people out into the ministry and uh you want me to go into some of those ministries now or? yeah actually let's come back and cover uh cover that in a second I, okay. it, we got led up to your point where you're at, at sarah oklahoma and you're becoming ordained as a minister and now we also got a flavor for that they send you up to cody uh, wyoming every summer and let's leave that as a little bit of mystery right now. I, I have okay. a, I want to back up and ask a, a question, too, about bull riding. Because, sure. again, this is my podcast, and I get to ask what questions I want. Um, but I, I, what is it like to ride a one-ton cow? Um, it's, man, that's a hard question, yes. It's uh, like any extreme sport. It, it's, it's a huge adrenaline rush. Um, you know, there's a movie out a long time ago called, uh, I can't remember what now, Lane Frost helped with it, uh, and my heroes have always been cowboys. And the guy in the, the lead part in there made a statement that I think is true. He said, when, when everything goes right, you and the bull are in perfect time together, and it's just all what it's supposed to be. It, it's almost like for uh, that eight seconds, you're almost in, in another world. Mm-hmm. It's just an experience that I, I can't describe it, I guess, when it goes right. When it goes wrong, it, it's not so great. Yeah, no, you know, when I was there uh, back in June, actually, uh, one of the bulls come, came right out of the gate. And it's not so much the bull, too, but that bull just tossed a guy right into the gate. Yeah. You know, and it, had he not been wearing a helmet, there would have been some bloody yeah, mess you there. You know, when I started, we didn't have the helmets or the vest either. That was before uh, Lane's death and... Uh, things and went, got involved there when we started trying to do a little more safety issues. Mm-hmm. And so it, I, um, how many broken bones have you had doing this? Um, I actually was blessed, I believe. I've only had uh, broke uh, an ankle and I broke <laughs> my riding hand one time. Bull came right down on it um, and I broke my shoulder one time. I entered an arena in Missouri where I don't don't think there was any rocks except the one that I landed on. <laughs> yeah, it's always always put there for some reason. Had a lot of strains, had a lot of sprains, yeah. had uh, several concussions. Yeah. Um, had that bull rider walk down. I know you were here when the clown did that joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, so how does how does one train to be a bull rider? I mean, you just they, is it kind of like when they throw you into the deep end of the pool and say swim and they say you know here meet meet the cow sit here and you know in a few minutes just try not to fall off. Twenty years ago, yeah, that is how we did it. Hey, okay. Now we have schools uh-huh. taught by the guys. Um, a lot of the youngsters are starting out on calves. Um, we got 
machine, little, they're not machines, but the invention called the Mighty Bucky that mimics the action of the bull, and you get on there, and your buddies buck you back and forth, and um, like I work with uh, Mike Lee and Frank Newsom and putting on Christian bull riding and bullfighting schools. Uh, Mike was a world champion. Frank many times been PBR and NFR bullfighter. And um, we try to teach them the right way. Yeah, when I first did it, I just showed up at a rodeo, paid 20 bucks, and they stuck me on a bull. <laughs> and said, hang on tight, huh? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's when Mom found out I was riding bulls because I, you know, showed up at home with a hoof print on my chest. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's got to be pretty hard to hide. Well, where'd you get that hoof print? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but now, you know, especially with the money that's involved, um, you know, the pro bull riders pays out a million dollars to their winner every year. Mm-hmm. PRTA's paying out a lot. You know, we just had the Cody Stampede, and the winner of the bull riding took home about $22,000. So it's money now. So it's not just a bunch of old excuse me, drunks or whatever, <laughs> playing around, those guys train. You you know, if you're here in the morning, you'll see them out running, lifting weights. Um, they try to take care of their diet. There are now doctors that specialize uh, through the Justin Sports Medicine team and through the Health South team with the uh, PBR that do nothing but treat cowboys and help them. So uh, it's, it's business now. It's not just... Uh, there's still places to go where if you just want to get on and try one, you know, we do that here at the night rodeo. We'll we'll let people learn here. We put on schools here, so there's a lot of training goes into it now. Mm-hmm. Now the Cody Night Rodeo, that's you know, it's a it's a real rodeo. People are really competing for this. I know some people think it's just something put on for a tur- uh, tourist, but actually, you got guys that are coming in here, they're kind of training, wanting to break into the bigger circuit and stuff. So that is that what Cody Night Rodeo is all about. We get that a lot. We get guys that say they're going to, you know, just for, I don't they'd be like in Casper one weekend and they're going to be in Montana the next weekend. There's no reason to go back home. So they'll come here, camp out, and ride bulls for four nights, and uh, it's practice for them, chance to make some money. Um, we have some other guys, like there's some uh, college guys here this summer that uh, really just don't want to travel the circuit. It's a chance for them to get on bulls every day. And then they'll be ready to go back to college rodeo this fall. Um, another thing we fall into a lot here is guys that are ready to rodeo but aren't old enough to join the PRCA or PBR. So they'll come here and rodeo, and they're getting on practice bulls and horses or practice roping again mm-hmm. and uh, getting ready for high school rodeo. Um, we have some families that come up here. I don't think uh, Daryl Lamb and his family are here yet, but there's a – family from texas this is their fifth year to come here and just uh spend the summer and the the mom she trains barrel horses so she'll bring some of her colts and she trains them and rides them in the rodeo and daryl's a tie down roper and a team roper so he gets to rope every night their two daughters like to ride their ponies so uh they bear they barrel race in our junior barrel racing so we get a lot of people coming through but we also get people that just decide hey i'm not going to drive Every weekend somewhere different, I can just stay in Cody. And we have some big names come through here, too. And uh, so it, it's a good rodeo. Um, here lately it's been really full. We just we just finished up a big saddle bronc and bareback riding school with three world champions here teaching. So we were having 15 bareback and saddle bronc riders every night, which was a lot of fun because the bareback and saddle bronc horses, for me, are a blast to announce. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they're fun. They're actually some of my favorite events. I know the professional bull riding gets a lot of the uh, attention nowadays, but uh, yeah, I do like the saddle bronc and the uh, the bareback riding, which I, I think it's because they move. It's, it's a lot less predictable. In, One in of our ways. reasons for doing that school is um, we're trying to get a little more attention out on the bareback and saddle bronc because, you know, saddle broncs we call the original event of rodeo. It's really... Mm-hmm. Regardless of, you know, there's a lot of theories out there how radio really started, but most people will will agree that saddle bronc riding is where it came from. And then the ropers said, hey, we want to do something. So then we had team roping and tie-down roping. And eventually you got some big, huge one-time You know, it's rough stock, guys. We're yeah. all, you know, we're not sure the ropers belong here sometimes. <laughs> we love them. All right, cool. Well, let me, let me turn this back again to um, sure. uh, the topic at hand, which is religion and cowboy churches and stuff. And now, as you mentioned, you were an EMT in uh, St. Louis for a while, so you've seen the urban side of life, uh, but you tend right now to be living the rural side of life. In terms of you know, kind of reflecting back on your life, what kind of specific challenges are there for you as a minister to minister out to the rural life? I mean, I think a lot of people would think, uh, you know, countryside, rural folks are all pretty religious, but are there any other types of challenges that might make ministering pretty hard? Well, a lot of it is, you know, when you're in the rural lifestyle, um, like, you know, home in Oklahoma, is that everybody's, most of them have two jobs because they got a ranch, but I think you probably know it's really hard to make a living ranch in these days. So most of them are also working in the oil field, and um, they're busy, as, as I think everybody deals with, and even cowboys have cell phones now. And it, it is, there's a lot of, uh, I guess if there's any real struggle, is to always get with them and have, the, have them have the time to spend with you and have that relationship. Um, one of the things I do run into is uh, we we get that pride issue going as a cowboy and as a Western guy that I can do it myself. So sometimes it's hard to get them to even ask for help or to realize that, hey, you know, you need God. Mm-hmm. You can't do this on your own. Uh, that's something I run into with these rodeo guys. You know, they're they're having problems riding their bull or they're missing their calf or they're missing their horse out. And, man, what am I going to do? My head's all messed up and I just can't get it right. I need... Blah blah blah, and they're just going and on, and, and you know, I'm just saying, you know what? First place you got to start is with the Father. You got to get right with Him, because rodeo can't be your God. Rodeo can't fill the void that you need that the Heavenly Father put there in your life for Him to be there. So that kind of answer it? Yeah, it does. And I, I kind of want to ask about the rodeo circuit, too, because one of the things that I noticed, and I have attend the Ellensburg Rodeo out here in Washington on a regular basis, and we've been to the Cody Rodeo a, a couple times, and I'm hoping to get down to Pendleton this um, later this fall. Um, I, I watch the guys in the shoots before their their rides and that, and you see a lot of these guys, you know, get down on their knees and they pray. And you know, if I was them and I was about to get on a two thousand pound bull, I I probably be praying a lot too. But you know, on the other hand, and I've being in uh, going to Ellensburg quite a bit, and I hang out with a friend who's there. Um, I know there's another side to the rodeo life and that's the nightlife after the rodeo the behind the shoots bars and the you know going out on the town and basically you're dealing with a lot of pretty young single males out there and the if you look at churches young single males are not the typical people in the pew and they live a a much different lifestyle that in many ways might be challenging to um, you know the christian faith in that regard so what what's kind of what is the 
I mean, you as somebody who's out there missionizing to the rodeo lifestyle, to these rodeo guys, is it hard? Is it What's it like doing that? Well, here's where I'm at, when, and I'll, I'll have to go back a little bit. When I first started, I thought the answer was these guys, you know, I had, the, I guess, even a little cowboy pride there, and like, you know, God has sent me here to these people. My job is to tell them that they're wrong and need to get saved. And so when I first started, you know, I would have the little, um, we changed the name, we didn't want to see a church service, so we have our power-up time. And, but it still came down to the thing as I was preaching at them a lot, like, you know, churches do, and wasn't seeing a whole lot of response, you know, because around me, yeah, they wouldn't drink their beer, they wouldn't chase the, the skirt, <laughs> the buckle bunnies, as we call them. But um, as soon as I wasn't around, you know, and, and then so I was, you know, I, I began to feel like, man, I'm just, I'm just being like the Pharisees. I'm, I'm preaching a bunch of rules. Yeah. And so I, I, I took some time off. That's one of the things that happened with me hanging out with Cody Custer and Andy Taylor and the people at Trinity Fellowship. Because I began to see that uh, I just really began to study Jesus and what did Jesus do. And I, I saw, you know, a, a guy that hung out with 12 men and lived life with them. And so that's what I've begun doing a whole lot more with the rodeos. I just hang out with the guys, spend time with them. They know who I am. They know that I'm a minister. They know if they need a Bible, I got one. They know if they need <laughs> advice, if they need prayer, that I'm there, that I love them, and I'm going to help them. But uh, what I find is a lot of them in the beginning, yeah, they've got this preconceived notion that Hollywood's put out there that we're going to, Cowboys got a drink, and they got to chase chase girls, and they got to this, and they got to that. So, what these guys eventually find out, if they're going to be successful at it, they got to learn how to be an athlete, and they got to start treating their body just like an NFL guy or a, a major league baseball player or any of that, because it's an athletic deal. And especially in the bull riding, the stronger you know, we're, we're breeding these bulls and horses to buck. We're picking just the best bucking horses and the best bulls and the cows that when they throw a calf, is a good bucking calf. And so genetically, you know, they can tell you where most of these rodeo bulls and horses come from. And, and so the guys have got to have, have, are finding out pretty fast that that lifestyle doesn't work so well. But I think it, you know, as far as to minister to them, what I've found works the best is to just love them and to be there. And we have barbecues and we watch movies, and we hang out, and we sit around the bonfire, and when they're ready to talk to me about God or they got a problem, I'm there, and I can get all the notches in my belt of how many people have prayed the prayer with me that summer, but what to me what, what matters is do they leave here knowing that God is a Father that loves them no matter what they do. Sin is sin. It's wrong. And there's consequences, but he still loves them. And it's a relationship they can take with them when they leave me, and they're not dependent on me to tell them what's right and wrong. They're going to listen to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. No, no, that, there? Yeah, that, that's, that's a pretty cool way of going about it. I think we'll talk a little bit here in a second about, you know, okay. the, the, you know what is a cowboy church. And it, it sounds, a cowboy church sounds like it's a, it's a church that doesn't have any walls. But here's here's the question. While well, we, we're talking about cowboys here a little bit, but um, 
there's cowgals. There's there's women who are involved in the rodeo. A number of them do barrel racing, and some do breakaway roping, where they don't have to uh, get off the horse and wrestle down their calf or anything like that. But um, do you have any contact with uh, the cowgals, the cowgirls? Yeah, I do. I tend to have a little more contact with the guys just because I'm around them more. But I do, and and we still follow the same thing. Like when we have the barbecue, or we have the, you know, watching movies together, or, or just hanging out. I do, and, and they, they know that I'm here for them. And, you know, when they, just like the cow guys, when those cowgirls have a problem, they'll come to me and say, hey, you know, I've, <laughs> believe it or not, I've done quite a bit of relationship counseling up here. Yeah, I can imagine. Because, uh, like, you know, just one instance last year, we had a couple of cowboys came from a college in uh, the Midwest and brought their girlfriends with them, and the girlfriends were barrel racers and breakaway, and the guys were tie-down ropers or bull riders. So we ended up spending a lot of time there because, you know, when they're mad at each other, they're wanting to talk. So <laughs> had to hone my relationship counseling skills a little bit. So I, I, have, I tend to have contact with all of the contestants here. And when I'm doing the youth rodeos, I don't think I said that, but in the wintertime, um, I do a lot of youth and high school stuff. So then I have, of course, contact with a lot of uh, kids, both male and female. Mm-hmm. So let me let go ahead and ask that, and kind of what is it, when we talk about cowboy church, and I brought that term up here at the beginning of the, the podcast, we tend to think of a church as a place that has four walls, a, a steeple, and people come there every Sunday. But what you're describing here sounds a lot more open. So if you, if you had to define what a cowboy church is, what, what would you say it is? That's that's a tough question. There are a lot of churches that, with a, I guess we can go back to the beginning, really late 70s, early 80s, when the, what we call the Cowboy Church movement really began. And uh, it kind of came out of the Jesus Freak movement. Some of the, you know, some of the cowboys met up with some of those old hippies that got saved and got right with God also, and they would go to a traditional, you know, church, and denominational church, I guess you'd say, and didn't really feel like, you know, the organ music and the choir and the robes and the suits, ties and stuff fit them. So they'd start planning little fellowships is where they first started out, and Cowboys for Christ and uh, several other groups started about the same time, the Fellowship of Christian Cowboys. And really the Cowboy Church movement came out of group people getting together with a like-minded lifestyle that would meet one day a week at somebody's house and maybe have a barbecue and, and uh, talk about God in terms that rural and cowboy and western people could understand. And then a little bit later it became, um, well, let's just have our own church. So they, st- they started having churches and it would be more of a country music uh, feel and guitars, drums, whatever, instead of the traditional church music. And um, we had a whole group of cowboy singers that came out. Uh, there's some you know, big-name guys out there that do Christian cowboy music. Mm-hmm. And they would sometimes take the country songs and change the words and make them Christian. And then they'd start writing songs about God. And, uh, you know, of course, Western music has always had that. And, uh, you know... Stuart Hamble and a great cowboy wrote some of the biggest well-known church songs. And even John Wayne was into cowboy music. So that's how this kind of started. And they would just meet in a barn. Some of them would meet in a bar. Um, you know, the, the group that I had 
prolonged for about five years there in Fort Worth. We met in a pool hall. Mm-hmm. The guy rented to us because he wasn't open on Monday nights, so we used that. And that's a really good, interesting use of space. And I, I know we have uh, some movements out here. I live in uh, rural King County out here in uh, the state of Washington, and we got a, a small church kind of starting up in a bar, too. And they they do that Sunday mornings. It's not open. They There's a space. They just come in there and, and you know, preach the word, which is which is kind of interesting. I, I guess I'm really fascinated, too, by the, the, the cowboy church movement being – Growing in the late 1970s, early 1980s, I would I would have thought that it's it's much older than that, but I guess it's a relatively new phenomena. The name Cowboy Church is relatively new. I, I would say that there's been Cowboy Churches out there in rural areas for years. Right. But when those groups got started, and they've done you know great work. You know, I mean, if you talk to the guys that have been rodeoing, like Alan Bach, you know, the guy's been to more NFRs than anybody. He can tell you, you know, rodeo has changed. It used to not be cool to talk about God that much. And now, you know, you hear the guys when you're interviewing on the PBR or the NFR telecast thanking God for their talent. And we got some young guys like Tuff Cooper that, you know, he's even got right there on his, you know, mm-hmm. neck of his shirt says Jesus saves. So, it's, you know, it has caused there to be an emphasis and an awakening that, hey, it is okay to be, you can be macho and still talk about God and say, I have a relationship with him. Um, you know, the Cowboy Church movement, though, in the last five to ten years has exploded. Mm-hmm. Part of that came because of the uh, General Baptist Convention of uh, Texas, part of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, about seven years ago, made a decision that they were going to cut back on some of their funding, I guess, to... Uh, missions outside of the United States, and they were going to really focus on home missions, and they picked the cowboy rural lifestyle as their focus, and then later the Assembly of Gods followed with that, and so they began setting up cowboy churches. There's even a a cowboy church association in Texas that's under the covering and leadership of the Southern Baptist Convention, and so when somebody's wanting to start a cowboy church, you let them know. They send a team out that helps you set it up and all that. And so that's really the explosion in Cowboy churches that's happened here lately. No, I, I like that. And just to step back a minute, when I was, I've been watching the NFRs fairly regularly for the last couple of years now, and you know, I always like to bring my son, you know, to watch it with me. And you know, I point to these guys when they, you know, they get off the bull, and if they've had a good ride or if they've had a bad ride, they a lot of them come out and say, "Listen, I, I really want to thank, you know, Lord Jesus Christ for for what I have." And tell my son, take note of that, man. That's you know, it's a great deal of Christian humility there, and it's it's a really nice kind of role model thing. Let me talk about specifically the church you're affiliated with, which is the Trinity Fellowship. And that's headed up by uh, Pastor Andy Taylor. And and he's one of these guys that's been in this movement of uh, cowboy churches in, in recent years. Tell us a little bit about Andy Taylor and his ministry at Trinity Fellowship. Well, Andy was a, a bull rider, a really good bull rider. Uh, he had a brother, Mont, that was uh, also a really good bull rider, made the NFR a couple times. Andy was like me in that he, he lived in a really small town in the, I guess they, they call it the panhandle of Texas, and he was a cowboy, and uh, he was married, and things weren't going that great. He had been, at, as he says, that he went to one of the big meetings they had one year in town at the high school gym and walked down the aisle and signed the paper and shook the hands and got baptized, but 
And he believes he really got saved in, but as far as relationship, he didn't have it. And when he was in his early 30s, things just weren't going right. And he, he, he puts it this way. He said, I sat on the end of the bed and I said, God, if you're really real, I need you. And I need you now. And that was his, I guess, the come to Jesus meeting, he'd say. And God began to work in his life and began bringing people into his life, asking him questions on, you know, I know that you're living for God now and I need a I need an answer here, so he says, you know, in the first year of his Christian walk, he wore out several Bibles just looking through it, finding stuff. He was still a cowboy, still riding herd every day, didn't get to go to church as often as he'd like to, so instead of getting, I guess, you know, the church indoctrination, he got to know the Father through the book, and uh, then, uh, as you know, uh, we have ups and downs in agriculture, and it got to the point where the... The ranch wasn't doing well, and Andy and the family had to move to town. And, uh, hey, Dan, um, I, we're starting to get a bad connection here. I'm going to hang up and give you a call back and see if we can improve that connection. Okay, I uh, just want to apologize a little bit uh, for our listeners. Sometimes uh, in rural areas, we don't get the best of phone services, so we were broken up there a little bit. But uh, we are talking to, to Dan about the uh, Trinity Fellowship that was headed up by Andy Taylor, and you were giving us a a brief discussion about how he founded that. So if you could go back and, and give us a little sense of what uh, Andy Taylor did to set up this Trinity Fellowship. Well, Andy was, you know, back living in town um, due to the the ranches going through the struggle they were going through. This had been 22 years ago, and he uh, was called by some friends. He said, hey, we're having a Bible study, and we'd like you to kind of lead it. So it began actually in some people's basement, and... They began talking about it, decided to form a church, called it Trinity Fellowship. Didn't know there was any other Trinity Fellowships out there. And it started with just eight people. Kind of started to grow. One of the things that they prayed from the very beginning was that God would send them to people nobody else wanted. So the group that kind of started it would be a group that, you know, not even the Elks Lodge would let them stay. You know, they, they weren't the best. But they, they got saved, found God, and, and their lives got changed. And uh, it didn't start out to be a cowboy church. Even today, we don't call it a cowboy church. It's a, a fellowship where we say that uh, God is who he is and Father what he is, and that everyone's welcome, just come as you are, regardless of, of you know, just as you are, you're welcome. And growth started slow, which I'm sure really was a good thing. And they moved to a building downtown for a while and kept getting bigger and began looking for another place. And uh, there was a uh, hundred acres outside of town that had a steakhouse on it that had used to have been a training facility for quarter horses for racing. Sarah, Oklahoma is kind of the birthplace of the quarter horse racing industry. Uh-huh. And uh, went and talked to the gentleman that owned it. And uh, he liked Andy. Guy didn't go to church, but he liked Andy and thought he was somebody he could trust. So he said, gave him a timetable and said, uh, if you have it paid off in 10 years, it's yours. If not, I get it in 10 years, including any improvements you did. And uh, so they started that, and uh, God did some miracles like he can, and they got it paid off. They turned the quarter horse racetrack into a rodeo arena. We have three rodeo arenas there, and started out in the old steakhouse. Uh, since then, we've added a bunkhouse uh, for our camp, place for the kids to stay. We've got a built a facility there to, to cook in. We, we'll have about 100 boys every year at our camp and about 75 girls, and 
we just have a cover on the side of the bunkhouse where they all sit and eat and uh, run them through the cook shack. And get, we feed all the the kids and their parents and the uh, instructors and everybody. Usually get it done in about 30 minutes, so we have some ladies that are really good at running that. Um, I guess it'll be three years ago, this coming January, we built a thousand seat sanctuary, and uh, we call it <laughs> we call it the big house. We still have our um, offices in the old steakhouse, but up on top of the hill, we got the big house, mm-hmm. and uh, so we got the big house and the little house. So I guess it's almost like a Jeff Foxworthy joke about God's going to tell us y'all come up to the big house. <laughs> So that's where we're at, and um, I guess really about 10, 12 years ago, Andy began to feel like that uh, we needed to be a covering to help others, and we did plant a church in Canadian Texas. We have about five churches that are connected with us now. Um, We do have our services live on the Internet every Sunday, which uh, I'm real involved in that, except when I'm up here in Cody, Wyoming. I actually designed our system that uh, we have uh, two remote cameras and a regular camera. So we, the Internet broadcast, is the live stream is getting huge. Um, on Wednesday mornings at 5.30 a.m. Central Time, they're doing a men's training. We're getting 30 or 40 guys from Sayre coming to it, Sayre, Elk City, and that surrounding area, and uh, getting some groups to where there's as many or more watching it on the Internet that are in the house. Mm-hmm. And so we're branching out that way. But one of the things that started happening, and really Cody Custer was one of the first that did it. He had a, a ministry, and Cody, if you don't know, is one of the founders of the PBR, World Champion Bull Rider. Um, started a group called the uh, PBRO, the Pro Bull Riders Outreach. Hey, Vic, I'm, or, I mean, Dan, I'm going to stop you right there, and I'm going to give you a call back on your cell phone. Okay, so Dan, uh, again, we had a little bit of phone problem, and we're calling you back on your cell phone. That's one of the facts of rural life, and but now we got you back on. You were talking about how Trinity Fellowship actually acts as a covering or umbrella organization for a number of other things in there, including uh, something known as the Pro Bull Riding Outreach, which was created by Cody Custer. Now, who's Cody Custer, and what does he do? Uh, Cody was a world champion bull rider, one of the founders of the... Uh PBR, Pro Bull Riders, he began to feel like they needed a ministry to these guys, so it started just as a Bible study. His dad sang at it, and he did the, the ministry, and uh, started out just for the riders. It's grown into ministry now. Actually, a young man named Todd Pierce took it over, and Todd is ordained under Trinity also, and now Riding High Ministries actually is doing those, and they do a church service for the bull riders and the fans at just about all of the PBR Built for Tough events. So they have it right there in the Coliseum on the, the second day, usually, of the event. And then they also continue to work with the guys in the PBR and uh, have Bible studies for them. Um, some of the ladies, you know, travel with their husbands, and they've started a ladies' fellowship meets and... Um, a lot of what the PBR does is they're just there for the guys. It's really hard when the tour's going hot and heavy in the spring and fall for them to make it to a home church. So it provides a church for them out on the road. Um, Todd, through, totally through donations, is at as many of the events as he can be. Todd's kind of backed off a little bit this year as some of the younger guys, not really younger now, from Idaho, um, Wiley Peterson, 
has started to take over some of it. And, and while he's at the twilight of his career, at some point he's going to be retiring. But he's become like the elder statesman there for the younger guys. And then Cody has moved into doing a whole lot more work with teenagers and young men in the uh, youth rodeo world, specifically the youth bull riding organizations in Texas and Oklahoma, New Mexico, wherever they wanted to go. And so he's which one of the things that we've begun to realize is that uh, we got to get these kids. You know, I think there's there, you probably know the stats. If somebody doesn't get involved in church by the time they're 18, there's not a very good chance that they're gonna. Right. So we're trying to get these guys out on these youth tours, used to going to some type of power up church service, whatever you want to call it, where they you know spend time with each other. And we're trying to really teach them, you know, as young men, you got to be accountable to each other. And and uh, I guess the focus of all of our ministry, this underneath Trinity, one of the things we say is like the DNA of our house is that God is the Father that loves you no matter what. You do wrong, there's consequences, just like there is in any family. But he's not going to quit loving you. He's not going to throw you out of the family. And he's there for you. You know, and we don't deal near as much in uh, getting kids to sign on the dotted line and get saved as we do trying to help them to understand the need of relationships. So there's, I think I said, there's five or six churches now that are affiliated with this. They're not all cowboy churches. There are some other cowboy ministries. Um, Alan Bach and his his group are, are affiliated with us and under our covering. Um, there's several itinerant, I guess you'd call them, rodeo ministers out there that are underneath us. We have a couple of ministries in Mexico that have affiliated with us and that we're covering over. And once a year we have a big meeting that uh, we call Convergence, where we ask everybody that's affiliated with us to come and be there. And we bring in some top-notch speakers and just spend time together, knowing each other, and try and spend a lot of time on the phone with each other or else watching the video broadcast of, from Trinity. And we do, here uh, in the... It's during the school year, from September to May, we try and do a monthly meeting, and we also broadcast on the Internet where we ask all of those affiliated to come and spend a day, and uh, we call that the round table, where we all just, you know, we're there. And so we're hearing what the father's saying to Andy, who's like the daddy of the house, I guess you'd call him. Um, I mean, I know that there's people that say the fivefold minister's not there, but we truly feel like we're an apostolic work uh, to Andy's. I guess you, he doesn't use the title, but I'll use it. I think he's kind of like the apostle that is teaching all of us and helping us. And so that's why I, I think I told you already, but for Trinity, for me, when and this goes back to God real fast, um, I had a bad car wreck, didn't know what I was going to do. I'd come up here and done two weeks for Maury and Nikki one year, and I lost my job. The oil field went kaput, and uh, I was kind of mad at God for a little bit. And he said, you know, you preach it, are you going to live it? So I just said, Father, you know, you said you're going to take care of me. I trust you. Mm-hmm. The next day, Maury Tate calls, says, hey, you going to do any of my radio this year? So well, I don't know. I just lost my job. And he said, well, good, just do the whole summer. And so that is my third summer now. So what Andy and the church did before I left that year, you know, they brought me down front and invited everybody that wanted to to come front and lay hands on me and pray over me. And they they. Just as Paul sent out Timothy and the others, they send me out to be here to do this ministry, and we have others that we've sent out to other places. So where are we going from here, bud? 
I, 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 it's just an interesting story. I just love hearing this story because, uh, I mean, that's how you ended up here. It's, it's a long kind of route with a lot of different twists and turns. And as, as you mentioned earlier in your life, you know, you just took a one path one way and it, it really set you down the course of, of life that way. And so now you're, you know, in Cody over the summer and um, you get the blessing of your church to, to go do that. And so, so what's it like, you know, ministering in Cody, Wyoming? It's, a, it's really awesome. I mean, I, I get to announce every night, which is great, because I love announcing. enjoy doing it. Um, but then the rest of the time, I get to hang out with a lot of the young men and women that come through here, and the ones that stay here, some older men and women that stay here, and just uh, I spend time with them and, and just love on them and tell them about God. And I spend a lot of time just sitting around um, living life and through that living of life, um, when situations come up where I can interject and, and help them, I do. Um, it's amazing, you know, when you when you don't say, we're going to have church, and we're going to have church at this, this, that time, it's amazing how just out of the blue, they're just like, hey, you know, I was reading the Bible last night, and what did God mean when he said this? And then that opens it up where we get, or somebody will come to me, and they're just, you know, totally upset. Guys, especially, they're here, and their girlfriend's in Texas, Oklahoma, wherever, and, oh, she's, she's cheating on me, and, you know, start out, we're talking that way, but it ends up being that they'll come up, man, I just, you know, I see that you have a relationship with God, you call him father or daddy, and I don't have that, how do you get that? So then, then I get that opening, yeah, where I just say, hey, you know, here's how, mm-hmm. and so it is awesome, and I love it, and I, I'm just so thankful that God allows me, he's letting me do what I love and get paid for it. Do you have any in particular inspirational stories that really stick out in your mind from doing all of this? Oh gosh, I didn't think about that. There's there's a lot of different ones. Um, one of them, I guess, really inspirational goes back to the Bibles we pass out. That's through uh, Clyde and Elsie Frost, and they do that in memory of their son Lane. They made the movie Eight Seconds About. It was actually was a Christian. They didn't put that in the movie. And... Um, the one I could think of is, um, you know, these, this young man took one, and, and everything in his life went wrong, and I had my business card in there, and he's cleaning out his truck one night. He didn't tell me this until a couple years later. He's cleaning out his truck so his mom didn't have to because he decided he was going to commit suicide, and he found that Bible, read the little opening in the front where Clyde and Elsie wrote a little letter saying that we're proud that Lane was a world champion bull rider. We're more proud that Lane was a Christian. If you don't know you know, the father, you need to, and here's how. So that kid called me at 3 in the morning and, uh, you know, says to this day that uh, he's alive because of me and really just because God put me there. And so that that's one I, you know, and, and there's so many of them like that where you're just there. You don't even realize what you say means that much to them. Two years down the road, the young man is here fighting bulls for us for the month of July. Um, he told me the other day, he's like, you don't know how much you and this guy George Steinberger meant in my life. And at the time, you know, doing these youth rodeos, I didn't even know if they were listening. Yeah. But they were. And so I found that, you know, if anything, I guess, you know, Christ has got to be my model. I'm kind of out in the world doing what he was doing in a way. And so I just hang out with them. You know, and I don't see anywhere in the book where he yelled and screamed at Peter, James, John, or Matthew. He just loved them. He said, come follow me. 
And uh, the only people he got into were those that were preaching a set of rules that weren't from his father. Some great stories there, and there's some great lessons to really pull from it. I've, I've had the so same... many of them out there. You know, God is just, he's such an awesome father. And he puts us in situations where we don't even realize, you know, just, I know you've been to the rodeo, so you heard the simple prayer that we open with every night. But it's amazing how many people will come up and talk to me afterwards and say, that didn't sound like the normal prayer I hear at a rodeo. You sound like you know God. Mm -hmm. And that's because, you know, I do. I got to know him. And that's the whole, you know, emphasis, I guess, of Trinity Fellowship is, we can give, we can be the, and I said this before, we can try and be the Holy Spirit and tell everybody what to do and what not to do, or we can let the Holy Spirit do His job and just be what God called us to be, be their brother and sister and love them. Yeah. And if they come to you and ask questions, I mean, you know, I have faced some opposition up here because I've, I've made it known to them, if they go to the bar and get drunk, I'll go pick them up. Not because I think that they're right to go out and get drunk, but because I don't want them to get killed or get a ticket. Or kill somebody else. Yeah, yeah. But through that, they'll come back, man, you didn't yell at me, and you're a preacher. What's up? And then I have the chance to say, that's because my father's not going to yell at you. He loves you. He's not happy you got drunk, but he still loves you, and he wants a relationship with you. And that void in your life you're trying to fill with alcohol, you need to fill that with the father. Yeah. That's a, yeah so, I know great. we're running out of time here, boss. I'm, no, I'm no, glad. this... This is great. I could listen to this all day, and, and we, you're right, we are, are running out of time. But, you know, what, what you're saying a lot of times resonates with me here, too, because it's just little things in life that, you know, you, you told the story about the, you know, guy who's cleaning out his truck, and he's at the end of his rope, and, you know, just a little thing, like you put a business card in a in a Bible, and, and that, you know, had, hadn't that happened, the, the life would have been a lot different for this, this young man. So. Yeah, and- the kid picked up the Bible not so much because he wanted a Bible, because it had Lane Frost's picture on the front, writing Red Rock with the cross behind him. And that's, so, uh, yeah, amazing kind of stories. And it's really awesome. Let me just kind of close here with a, a general question that you can kind of think about a little bit. But, you know, from your vantage point to doing this, you know, ministering in the rural area, ministering in, in the rodeo lifestyle, is you know, how do you look at our country at large, and, and what do you what kind of lessons do you take away from the cowboy church lifestyle that you think would resonate with uh, our nation at large? Well, I may get you in trouble with this one. Okay. I think, honestly, that the church here in the West needs to take a really huge look at ourselves and see how we can become relevant in the modern-day age. I think we need to look at why aren't we using Facebook? Why aren't we on the Internet more? How do we... You said it yourself. The normal rodeo guy is not the guy you see in church. How come? What can we do to, to get to this generation to help them to see that the government's not the answer or taxes isn't the answer more government programs aren't the answer because I think we can look at our debt problem right now and see the government programs aren't fixing things. What can fix things? I think the only answer is, like you said, he was born in a stable 2,000 years ago. That's figuring out how to get the message is the same, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. But how do we make that message relevant to the generation and what's going on in their lives 
right now, right here today. How do we get out of the pews and out from behind the stained glass window and get out into the world and give them the message of God? Well, Dan, I mean, I can tell you honestly from listening to your stories and following you on Facebook and looking into Trinity Fellowship that you actually are doing that. It's it's kind of interesting. It's a blend of the Old West, but still a little bit of a touch of the new to really make the gospel relevant. And I think your story is a really going to be an inspiration for a lot of other folks, and, and what you say really resonates. So I really want to thank you for being on Research on Religion today. We'll link up to Cody Knight Rodeo as well as Trinity Fellowship and a number of other websites on our website, so please make sure to visit that. And Dan, it's been great having you. Thank you very much, sir. I've had a good time. Thank you for listening to Research on Religion. To learn more about today's topic, participate in a discussion about what you've heard, or browse other podcasts, please visit our website at www.researchonreligion.org. And if you like what we're doing, please tell a friend. We'd appreciate the company. See you next week.